Hello, and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Julia Kumari Drapkin to the show. Julia is the CEO and founder of ICChange.org, dedicated to connecting communities to each other and their changing environment. Julia created IC Change after over a decade reporting natural disasters and climate change science across the globe and in her own backyard on the Gulf Coast. She currently serves on the board of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters and is a consultant for the think tank Resources for the Future and NASA. Prior to journalism, Julia did research anthropology and archaeology for over seven years in Latin America, where she geeked out on Mayan farmers' almanacs. Julia, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful day in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, we had a lot of rain this past weekend. Yeah, there's been some big fronts coming in, um, but it's been wildly warm for the Southeast, actually. We're having a lot of of our community flagging early signs of early spring. I know. These con- trees are confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not good. In the <laughs> it's January to have spring is uh, even you know even a few weeks early can really make the difference for the growing season. Uh, we've seen that pattern over and over and over again. When you get an early spring, the trees and the grass start drinking a little early. Things start to dry out. Things to get a little hotter. We might be in for a uh, kind of a, a a big heat season or a drought season here in the southeast. And the bugs don't go away either. Mm-mm, no. But we have year-round mosquitoes here, so <laughs> oh, wow. it's a it's part of the, of living in the swamp. So, Julia, I like to start the show off with something interesting about my guest that many people might not be aware of you. So, if you please, I'd greatly appreciate it. Oh, things that people wouldn't know about me from my bio, Correct. or like just you know, um, yep. I'm an Olympic wedding dancer. That ne- needs to be an Olympic sport, and I would win it. Uh, I was in a soul band in college and very much miss um, being doing music. Uh, it makes, but I do live in a musical town, so I, I get to uh, breathe it, if you will. Tell me more about the Olympic wedding dancing. Oh, Olympic wedding dancing. Well, you know, every wedding there are the dancers who make everyone else dance. <laughs> And, you know, get the room kind of electrified. And, and frankly, if it was an Olympic sport, I would be a gold medalist. Have you ever had the pleasure of attending Indian weddings? I have. Um, I have attended Sri Lankan weddings, uh, one or two Indian weddings. Uh, yes, I, I, can, I can hold my own in various cultural settings uh, with the Olympic wedding dancing. Yes. <laughs> well, if you if you nominate it, I'll vote for it. How about Thank that? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a slow, steady movement. But there's other movements we got to start. So, you know, got to pick your battles. But it sounds like a fun one. So let's, one. let's just hope. So, Julia, can you share a little bit about your current endeavor that you're working on? Sure. I run a company uh, and our signature project is called IC Change. It is a digital platform where community members upload their stories and collect data, uh, really, really detailed block by block uh, local information about how climate change is impacting their daily life. And with stories combined with data, we have used community stories and data to improve adaptation, infrastructure design. Um, We've created data sets that are more accurate than many of the hypothetical data models used by engineers, insurers, and cities to help make our communities more resilient. And more importantly, 
these community stories represent the heart and the voice of of individual residents, which is sincerely and deeply lacking. Um, whether it's in your community or my community, this is happening across the world. We're seeing the need to listen deeply to how people are experiencing unprecedented weather stresses to understand how we need to adapt and prepare for our future. So can you give an example of some of the data and some of the stories? Sure. Um, we have been doing this for since 2012, and we have had community members you know, predict uh, flash droughts uh, months before the USDA declares an emergency, uh, wildfire seasons um, seven months in advance of, of, of emergencies, uh, West Nile virus um, months before there was a national epidemic. And more specifically, we've been doing a lot of work on urban heat and urban flooding to really inform adaptation and infrastructure design. Our most well-known recent project is actually here in New Orleans, where we have community members tracking flooding, urban flooding. Um, they're taking pictures, they're telling us stories about how they're impacted, um, how their daily lives are impacted, and then they're also taking rain measurements. And uh, when we combine all of that data together, we've used it to um, better plan infrastructure designs, uh, particularly these new green infrastructure designs that the ability to, for cities to absorb water and retain it and hold it rather than try and handle it by flushing it out in um, through storm drains. So we've quadrupled the amount of data that is typically collected in a public meeting, which is the worst way to, <laughs> to get community <laughs> impact. Um, it's the worst way to get community input. You know, any kind of public meeting really is predicated on people having the time to go. And when it comes to climate change, mm -hmm. the people who are most impacted are often the least resourced in both time and, you know, money. And so going to a public meeting at night on a weeknight or on a weekend is really uh, a big ask and an unfair ask. And you're missing out on really providing the public, the whole public, the people who are most impacted by these events with the opportunity to share their story, to, to, to make sure that the public money is being spent in ways that truly fix the problem. Um, so we flagged areas where the models weren't quite showing that flooding was happening at, at the level that we were seeing it in, in real events and that projects need to maybe be moved or, you know, Different areas of the project have been emphasized. We've, you know, seen this and we've done this across two multi-million dollar HUD funded infrastructure projects and saved up to $300,000 in um, redesign fees. Wow, that's quite significant. So how does an individual interact with your platform? Right. It's as easy as any of your traditional social media. You log in, you create a user account, you select your location. If we are active with specific investigations in your neighborhood or your city, you'll see specific prompts that we're working on a specific project. But otherwise, you can just log in and, and participate. We have users across 118 countries using IC wow. Change to document all kinds of different uh, weather events, um, whether it's early spring, which we're seeing right now, um, heat events, flood events, you know, different kinds of bugs that people are seeing, things that are unusual. 
air quality, wildfires in Australia. You can set your feed to global and you'll see stories from all around the world. And um, there's certain kinds of investigations that we're adding, you know, data inputs. And we're syncing the platform to new kinds of uh, features. You know, we're using AI. We're going to be changing our weather feeds and doing very detailed um, kind of dialogues with community members about how these events are, they're experiencing these events over time. So you have both native iOS and Android applications, is that correct? That's right. You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your on your phone as a web app. You can use it with our native apps in iOS or Android. And how are you getting the word out? Yeah, we need our users to actually, <laughs> our users are our best uh, microphone. Um, so if you come to use us and know us and love us, we've had people use us for years on end now uh, since our start. We have p- members of our original community still with us. And um, we have been doing word of mouth, frankly. Uh, we're starting to bring on more larger partners. We've been working with science museums um, lately, the Museum of Science, Boston, um, sorry, the, the Science Museum in Boston is one of our partners. Uh, we're working with the city of Miami next year, or actually this year, it's 2020 already. Oh my goodness, it's flying. So we're launching in Miami and Boston, some specific pilots. Um, and, uh, you know, everywhere we go, people hear about us, they, they log on and and kind of get hooked on just paying attention to the environment. Our, our, our social media is not predicated on how many times you log in, uh, if how much time you spend. We're not trying to keep you on your phone. We're actually trying to get you to pay attention to your environment and to connect to other people doing the same thing. And it's a different kind of connection and a different kind of user habit that we're trying to cultivate. And it's one that makes you feel good. It's one that makes that can actually make a difference in your community. I love that idea. And I have an upcoming conversation with the city of Dallas, and I'll be sure to mention your app to them. Sure. We've been eyeing some urban heat in Dallas. We've definitely been eyeing storm events in Texas. Uh, we'd love to work with them. So winding the clock back, you know, when did you start this? What was the idea behind it? Yeah, well, I was never envisioning myself as a tech CEO, that's for sure. I was a climate science reporter um, working in public radio, um, video, television, newspapers. I, you know, for over a decade, I covered, you know, the Asian tsunami and Hurricane Katrina in the same year. And over and over, you see the same thing, that the traditional modeling can't get specific enough. It's, it's, and it's often ignoring community voices. It's a top-down process, not a bottom-up one. And, and you'd hear things like, you know, I've lived here my entire life, and I've never seen this before. And you hear it enough where you go to a climate scientist and you say, okay, residents in this community have never seen their tomatoes dying or have never seen dust storms. Um, they've never, you know, experienced these events and, and the climate scientists would always hedge about it being quote unquote climate change. So I was living in Washington DC and it was 2011 and it was another billion dollar disaster year. It was one of the first in a string that we've had since then. And I just, you know, I couldn't help myself. I, I was hanging out with the science advisors to the president. It's called the Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP. And it was the Obama administration, and and it was being led by the office was being led by John Holdren. And I'd hang out with those advisor and I'd, I was, those advisors, and I'd say, "What's the holdup, Team Holdren? 
Mm-hmm. Chop, chop. Why can't we get adaptation passed through Congress? It's not a question of climate change so much as like people are really suffering. And they'd say, well, I can't go to a congressman and tell them this is how much climate change costs their district. And that attribution, that ability to get from global space and you know historical time and zero in on anyone's ex- experience or zero in on a congressman's district and say, okay, this is how much climate change is impacting you. If we can't do that, then people don't care. Um, it's been eight years since we started IC Change from that moment. Um, and a lot has happened. We've gotten much better with attribution. In fact, a paper that was published just a couple of weeks ago in the journal Nature Climate Change revealed that In fact, since 2012, you can't find a single day on planet Earth that has not been impacted by climate change. That's amazing. And so we were right the whole time (laughs) when we started. And, um, you know, and it's really comes down to that very simple truth is that people, non-scientists, are experts in their daily lives. And they are much smarter than anyone gives them credit for. And when we include their stories, perspectives, knowledge, and expertise in the adaptation process, in the infrastructure design process, in this change process, then the results are so much better. So much better. You know, as you were speaking, it reminded me of a a phrase or a quote that I've heard that says, uh, none of us is smarter than all of us. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I think that's right. I do. And, you know, when people say, well, how do you, how many posts do you need to, you know, what's the statistics? What's the math? And you're like, you know, I've seen designs change with one post. It's been verified by the data or verified by their neighbors. You know, when we all kind of piece it together collectively, this puzzle, um, we can do it. It is, you know, collective knowledge is one of the most, the greatest assets of the 21st century. And it, and truly it is probably what we need to take on this challenge, which is unique in the human experience. We've never faced anything like this before. We've never been asked to do anything on such a collective level. It almost feels like some sort of test, you know, (laughs) and we probably have the tools, but do we have the will? (laughs) I I like the view of the, of the test. And, you know, so you started back in 2011, 2012, you know, a lot of times people see a problem or a situation and they don't take action. And one of the things I like to drill down on this show is along the lines of Simon Sinek, the why behind. So why did you decide to, you know, forego opportunity cost to make this commitment to, you know, launching IC Change? That's a great question. Um, there's a lot of different whys, if you will. I think that we all kind of pivot into why in different stages. Some people have the one why and others kind of look and see in hindsight all the whys that land you here and now. So if I go back and say, okay, how did I land here? Why did I choose this path? Which is so not easy. I'm a woman of color in the South doing a tech startup on climate change. So there's like nothing easy about that choice. <laughs> um, however, you know, I grew up on a, a barrier island in the Gulf of Mexico. And I know fundamentally that it, my home, the place that I think about as my happiest place, fundamentally is in trouble and won't be there from the next generation in the way that I would want it to be. And then I've 
as a journalist coming to this place, but I was before that I was actually an anthropologist. I was a research anthropologist and I did anthropology even in high school. And one of the first things that they teach you is that the land creates the culture, creates the people. And when you take that view into any newspaper headline and you think about what historians are going to say about this time and place and all the political upheavals, you realize that climate change is the everything story. It is this invisible hand that has been guiding us for decades now. And if you pull it out and make it more visible, then we can make better decisions and we can see it and understand how we're being influenced and potentially make smarter choices. You can't unsee it once you see it. Its fingerprints are everywhere, whether it's in the immigration stories, whether it's in kind of the way we are politically, quote unquote, dividing ourselves, um, xenophobia. You know, when we have fewer resources, we start to behave in different ways. And the land changing creates the people, creates the culture. We're, we're kind of in a scenario where there won't be a a period of stability. We're, we're going into a period of forever change and, <laughs> and it's going to be a while before it stops, um, potentially not in my lifetime. And, um, and I want people to be able to, to understand their place in it. So looking back on your why, and so which island you said in the uh, Gulf Coast, which barrier island? I'm not familiar with it's that area. It's America's favorite beach, apparently. <laughs> Clearwater Beach, Florida. Um, so it's right outside of Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, the Bay Area, not the San Francisco Bay, but the Florida and Bay Area. Mm-hmm. How is that island doing right now? Oh, it's thriving. It's bustling. It's got more people than ever. Um, my parents left because the traffic was so bad. They've started really advertising it as, you know, the beach <laughs> in America um, to go to with family and whatnot. It, it is beautiful. It's actually I've traveled all around the world and it's still the most beautiful beach in the world to me. Um, so, yeah. So your why goes back to your childhood, which is beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And to the no-name storm that flooded our house in the middle of the night in 1992 with no warning. When you have the Gulf of Mexico in your living room, um, you really don't forget it. <laughs> we were rescued the no by the National storm. Guard, the whole thing. You know, it was, it was yeah, it's called a no-name storm. So, and this is happening much more often now. We're seeing people flood in ways that they have never seen before during average afternoon rainstorms. And um, there's something very, there's something different when you live in Hurricane Alley, which as we do, and I've grown, grown up in the Gulf of Mexico, which can often feel like the bowling after the bowling alley of disasters, right? It's, you know, it's going to be Houston. It's going to be us. It's going to be Tampa. It's going to be New Orleans. You never know, right? But at least mm-hmm. there's a little bit of warning. You prepare, you you have a few days to maybe get ready. You get your go bag, you leave, you shelter in place. But these other events are just happening very suddenly with absolutely no warning. And it's really stressful. Here in New Orleans, we've had a spate of of these very intense rainstorms that have flooded areas of the city that that hadn't flooded since Katrina, and people are very um, distressed. They, you know, it's a, it's it's resurfacing trauma that people haven't had in a long time, and uh, causing people to really think about about life here. You know, I have a friend, very good family friend, who um, lost their home last October in the 
tornadoes we had here in Dallas. Mm. And I was speaking to her a few days ago, and we had another tornado warning come through here. I think it was about a week ago. Mm-hmm, yeah. And she was talking about her children, and there's almost like a PTSD effect mm-hmm. that they're suffering, what they're going through. And wh- while you were mentioning that, it kind of makes me think about individuals that have you know, suffered loss through these storms. And when they hear the warnings or when they see the clouds or hear about the weather changing, they probably fear some kind of or feel some kind of PTSD themselves. Absolutely. Trauma is a big deal uh, in this um, particular area, Um, whether it's an extreme one-off event or whether it's just the kind of recurrent trauma. We are flagging that on our team, the IC Change team, as a big focus for us in 2020, 2021, because anecdotally people tell us they feel better using IC Change, that they are able to organize the chaos that is otherwise just this intangible threat, right? Climate change feels like this big, invisible, yet menacing threat, and people can't really get their their brains on it. Um, but storytelling is actually one of the most fundamental ways that the human brain organizes information, organizes time, organizes experience, and it is a healing act. And what we try to do is encourage people to share their story over and over and over again so that they can understand in how they're being impacted on a, on a daily basis or yearly basis and to, to break climate change down into, its, into parts that they can tangibly see and, and then start to solve. And with climate trauma, we have a lot of youth um, who are expressing very distressing um, you know, signals to their parents and their teachers around climate change as they learn about it. And it's uh, it's something that we really want to engage with. We have a lot of s- classrooms. We don't really target this, you know, kids to use IC Change, but it's it's a very po- IC Change has become a very popular classroom activity for what they call citizen science. So the idea of collecting data as a citizen that can be useful to to researchers. And uh, we've you know, with so many kids and teachers using us, we've started to you know hear again that that the kids are feeling better about climate change using our tools. And, and we do encourage people to do that. Um, but yeah, these extreme events, we had a tornado hit just a few houses down from my house and I remember hearing it and running with my kid into the bathroom, you know, it's these, these that's what you're supposed to do that we, you know, you, you do what you can. Um, you try and stay weather aware. Um, but you know, me being particularly preparing our kids for this stuff is, is really where my, you know, my my job as as CEO of IC Change and my job as a mom really collide. <laughs> um, it's something that really is really important to me. You know, I really like the idea of enjoying children. A couple of different reasons. I mean, first of all, I have young ones too, and they're the ones that are outside and digging around the most, and mm. they can almost be your front line in some of the changes that they're seeing. And number two, like you mentioned, the ability to storytell and engage and you know, in, involve their peers and create communities around it. I, I, I think that's a fantastic opportunity for IC change. Yeah, it is. And, and something we need to think, and <laughs> we need more resources to, to dedicate to, uh, you know, we, we have been kind of targeting adults as our users because when it comes to decision-making around making a community safer, like actually having the impact that we want, that's really where we've been throwing a lot of our, our focus and efforts, but the longer term impact with working with kids is, 
is so important. And there's also a great opportunity to connect kids to different generations because it's the, you know, the elders of your community who have the most important knowledge about how that community has changed over time. And unfortunately, change is happening so rapidly that our notion of what is normal is also changing quite quickly. The human brain, I guess social scientists have done a few studies where they've looked at um, what, how we normalize things, how we normalize extreme weather and specifically. And the research suggests that we normalize extreme events like, oh, this flooding now happens all the time, or it's just, you know, 80 degrees in January, and that's just how it is. That, that, that process takes about two to eight years, and that's nothing, right? That's really fast. So we're really adaptive in terms of normalizing these experiences, but that actually is so dangerous because that makes us frogs in, <laughs> in a boiling pot. <laughs> we just normalize all these things and we're just adapting to them well. But over, when you look at the bigger picture, really, it's a, it's a dangerous track to be on. That is really interesting, normalization. I need to look that up because I feel like that applies in so many other areas of life too. Oh, definitely. We're really, that's our, as a species, that's our adaptive capacity is our greatest asset, but like all assets, they have sharp edges and, and trade-offs. So going back to something you said earlier, I'm a former tech CEO and I know some of the challenges I had while, you know, creating my software platform. I also had a native Android and iOS app. What are some of the challenges you're facing with IC change right now that perhaps, you know, our audience can help with? Oh, that's really lovely to ask. Well, for the longest time, just getting funded was really challenging. Um, nobody really cared about climate change, social media. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, you know, I'd do demos or pitch contests or whatnot, and I'd be competing against a sunglass company or like <laughs> a beer company. And people would be like, it's like watching a nun on stage, <laughs> 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 trying, trying to get people to be their better themselves, you know? <laughs> but I think that this year has been a game changer. I think that people are really, and unfortunately it's 2020, right? We've really lost a lot of time in terms of our ability to make, um, headway on the problem. But I think we're getting a lot more attention. People are really zeroing in on climate change as an economic game changer, as the most disruptive force since technology itself started to change our economy. Um, so we've been accepted into a Techstars program in Amsterdam this spring. So we'll be going there. And Congratulations. Doing our Thank you. Yeah. So we're finally, you know, this is like the 18th time that we've applied <laughs> or something like that. Uh, I could say that story, like we applied 18 times to this foundation or, or that accelerator and suddenly this year we're getting into everything. So it seems like we're getting a lot more momentum. We're going to do our first round, I believe, for 2021. Like to date, we really have bootstrapped ourselves just using foundations as our angel investors so that we haven't had to take any equity. Um, but, um, you know, for us to grow at the rate that we need to, I think we will start to, uh, look for, for, um, investments where we're looking for patient capital, um, smart advisors, uh, it's challenging to compete against Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, um, not just in terms of like shouting, Hey, you know, your data, that's data, that story, that photo, that, that could be better used. <laughs> it's more important if you share it with us. Um, 
it's it's also just people feeling overwhelmed by the space, you know. I think that there's a point in which people are kind of finally saying, you know, enough is enough um, with Facebook or enough is enough with Twitter. Um, you know, we're trying to present an option to people that your your traditional social media post is actually so much more important and so much more valuable if you if you do it with us for this, you know, to try and make your community a better place. So just getting the word out is a big, big part of it. We don't have any advertising budgets. We don't have anyone on staff who does that at all. <laughs> and ironically, journalists are not the best at marketing. <laughs> good storytellers, <laughs> but not good at marketing. <laughs> One of the things that we do here is we connect people in projects. So I'll be sure to get your um, project out in front of people that we know, um, especially here in the Dallas ecosystem, if there are any you know, VCs or other sure. sources of funding that you're looking for here, please feel free to, you know, share that with me offline and I'll see what I can do to help you over here. Absolutely. Yeah. And good advisors too. We're, you know, we're developing our AI. We're having to compete with, you know, Stanford graduates who make 300 K on graduation, which is just because they know how to spell the word AI. That's just crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, so we're, we're looking for talent, talented developers, t- talented advisors as well. And yeah, we appreciate, we appreciate the help. For I'll sure. put the word out. So before we go, one of the last questions I'd like to ask is, you know, if you could share some advice with the audience, what would it be? Mm. Well, the audience, you're, you know, your every audience is different, right? So we're talking with investors and, and right. Um, you um, know, we have an investment community that listens. We have a development community. And mm-hmm. then we have just people that are generally interested in, you know, I'm going to call it the broader renewable and sustainable sectors. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, I guess my advice is this, there, we have every ability to change the system. We do. We have it. It's just a decision. It's a decision to hold your ground on your values and what you know is the right thing to do and the right way to make money. It's possible and it's necessary because if we don't make a change, a systemic change, then we are really going to hurt, hurt bad. We're, hurt, we're going to hurt bad a little bit already, but if we don't make significant changes, we're going to hurt a lot more. So it's the right, smart decision. It takes commitment. I think I'm an endurance runner, and I think I see change as a testament to endurance. <laughs> um, you know, we never gave up on knowing how important this kind of information really is. And I think for investors with clean tech with renewables with changing you know our economic systems to account for carbon it really is possible it just you need to hold you need to hold the ground you need to stay focused it's not a shiny new object it's it's a long game but a game that we have to win so i really appreciate the advice of decide make the decision I'm going to take the liberty of pulling something from your playbook that I kind of read between the lines. When you saw something happening, you made a decision, then you decided to take action also, and then you stayed committed. Oh, absolutely. But <laughs> action, I mean, as a journalist, action is a is a, a word that I took a really long time to come around on. And I really, uh, I'm not an activist. I, you know, I don't consider I see change to be an activist space 
But the word action or having impact was something that I shied away from for a long time because my discipline, the discipline, the traditional discipline of science journalism or journalism at large is never supposed to take action. It's supposed to, you know, communicate all sides of a story, quote unquote. But um, when you really see that that's not how reality works, (laughs) you know, you start to realize that you need to be able to shed the labels or shed the, the, yeah, the, the rules for journalism aren't working. And so I created my own form of climate journalism. Um, and I still think of it, you know, I see change in that way, even though people are calling us a civic tech or, you know, startup or you know, social media platform, whatever, it's my way of saying, actually, we can do this. We can tell stories. We can collect information and we can make better decisions in a totally new way. And yeah, it means breaking some rules. (laughs) But You know, you just said do this. And I think, you know, the fact that you're doing is is that action. And so I I applaud you for doing so. I, I come across a lot of people who have an idea or see something perhaps that they don't agree with, you know, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on or what their particular... Um, activism is, but they don't take action on it. So I think, you know, you seeing the challenge and then picking it up and moving forward with it absolutely lends to taking action. Yeah. And shedding labels, you know, people say, oh, you, I'm not an impact investor, you know, like who cares? Like invest with, you know, your values. (laughs) Right. So I'm not, I don't really have a label anymore. Um, I just, we're doing IC change and that's it. And and it is its own, its own thing. Um, and yeah. one last thing I'd like to add is that, you know, that piece about anthropology that you mentioned earlier regarding land, people, and culture. I remember reading a book by Jared Diamond many years ago. Mm-hmm. Guns, 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 Germans, Steel. Steel. Yeah, Correct. totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I took away so many lessons from that, but I honestly can tell you that in that tome of a book, I don't think he ever said it as succinctly as, land, people, and culture. But, you know, putting my mind around that, and even from an architect standpoint, you know, they say that uh, function follows form, right? So very similar. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot to take away from the land shaping how we eventually behave and then developing our culture. So I really appreciate that nugget too. It was very helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it makes the world make sense. <laughs> It, it, it really does. It really does. Yeah. So Julia, I, I really appreciate your time today, and I look forward to seeing the progress of IC change. We'll check back in with you in a few months. Are there any last words you have? No, just keep in touch. Um, it's going to be a big year, 2020, for us. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Great talking Thank with you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Julia. Take care. Bye.